I'd like for you to read with me Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 and 16 and 17. The Bible just says this, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. The Bible just says plainly, And be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You understand, again, I thought it was interesting in our testimony time how they connected the Word of God and gratefulness. Here the Bible's doing the same thing, and then the, word, the Bible also connects the Word of God and truth to praising Him. Verse 17, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, again, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. I want to point out to you that the Bible is talking here about let the peace of God rule in your hearts, and He says, And be ye thankful. I believe what we see here in verses 15, 16, and 17 is he's describing what a grateful heart looks like. And I'm thankful for the Bible. I'm thankful for how it teaches us how to do things, and it also describes what these things are to us. And, and again, it's telling us we need to have a grateful heart, but it describes to you what that looks like. And I want to point that out to you tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would help us to have a grateful heart, uh, that we would take some time in this season, the days off that we have, and in the midst of our traditions, in the midst of our celebrations, that we would not forget the purpose of those things, because we have grateful hearts. And I pray that that would be said among the people of Oakwood Baptist Church, that we would not have complaining hearts or critical hearts, but we would have grateful hearts. And I pray that we would take the application of the scripture tonight, we would carry it with us as we go, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Sir Michael Costa is a famous composer and conductor, and once while he was rehearsing with a choir and orchestra, uh, he was leading and paying attention. It's amazing, uh, these higher level professional conductors, the talent that they do have. Uh, he was leading, and of course in this particular orchestra they had an organ and it was booming. They had percussion and they were banging away, you know, and there were horns and and there was even a, a, a chorus that was echoing, and he stopped everything, and he said, the piccolo is not playing. And what had happened is the piccolo player, at, I don't know if they were just having a pity party or whatever, but they had just kind of concluded that with everything that was going on, with the organ and the percussion and the chorus and everything, that it did not matter if they played or not. But the conductor noticed that they were not playing, and it made a difference to him. And he stopped everything. Can I say to you tonight that God also has a sensitive ear? It matters to him if we thank him or not. I am convicted tonight understanding that my natural default is, is not to be grateful. The natural default of my uh, sinful state is to be a complainer, uh, to be critical to be selfish. Now that's why uh, we constantly remind in, in, in our couples class if we're talking about children, like we, we understand our children are born heathens. I mean, they're born lost without God and it's our responsibility to evangelize them. Because our culture is telling us that basically everybody's good, but the truth of the matter is, is basically everybody's bad, right? That's why when you have a little child and somebody gives them a gift or gives them some candy or pays them a compliment, that's why parents are always saying, what do you say? 
And you have to kind of train them, don't you? Because their natural setting is to be selfish and to be complainers. And the truth of the matter is, is we have the same, same problem, even though maybe we've been trained and taught, and hopefully the grace of God has worked in our life that's changed us, but that is our default setting. And this makes it impossible to be grateful uh, because we, we are looking for the bad, not the good when we have a critical heart. I mean, think about it tonight. Buzzards look for dead things. You see them flying around in the sky. I mean, they're not circling up there saying, man, look at those beautiful flowers down there. No, no, hummingbirds are looking for flowers. Buzzards are looking for dead things. We understand if we have a, a critical, complaining heart, we're, we're looking for things to criticize. We're looking for things to be unsatisfied about. But when God cultivates a grateful heart in us, He's doing a supernatural work. See, the natural work in us is to complain. The supernatural work in us is to be, to be grateful. I came across this kind of cheesy story, but it proves a point. There was a man that got on a bus one day, and he found a seat, and he sat down, and the bus was rather crowded, and it was filling up, and on the next stop, a lady got on, and she had to stand because there were no seats left on the bus. And so the man had had a proper raising, and and he wanted to be a gentleman, and so he stood up and he, he gave her his seat as he was taught as a boy to do. And the lady was so shocked that she literally, I mean, literally passed out and fainted. You know, they gathered around her and fanned her, trying to have her come to. And when she came to, she, she looked at him and she said, I, I've, I can't believe that there's still a gentleman in this world. I, I'm, so, I'm so shocked that that happened. And she, she thanked him profusely. And when he heard her thank him, he fainted himself because he was shocked that somebody would be grateful. <laughs> now, I know it's a cheesy little story, but the point I'm trying to make here tonight is this, is it should not be shocking when a Christian has a grateful heart. That, that, that shouldn't be shocking. That should be more what the norm is. Really, what should shock us is if we're complaining and griping and criticizing but rather, we should have a grateful heart. So again, Paul gives a lesson on what a grateful heart looks like. Number, I want to give you three characteristics of a grateful heart. Number one, a grateful heart is peaceful. Did you see that? And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called one body, and be ye thankful. I want you to think of the people that you know in your life that are truly grateful people. I'm talking about the person you're going to get together with on, on Thursday, and I mean, they're going, to, they're going to be so glad to see you. They're going to be so, this meal is awesome. What a wonderful day. I mean, when you think of people who are thankful, you think of peaceful people, don't you? They're not contentious. They're not causing trouble. They're peaceful. Now, you understand tonight, I, I think in our, in our heart of hearts, we all want peace. It's not about you, but we look in the world. I, I want peace in this world. I mean, the, 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 what's going on with the, the terrorist attacks and the Gaza Strip and the war in Ukraine and, and all the other problems that are going on? Man, we want world peace. And I, I think about even on a more micro level, don't you want peace? I mean, who doesn't want peace in their marriage? I mean, what, what kind of uh, sadist or sociopath wants to fight with their spouse all the time? 
Yes, I understand sometimes we push each other's buttons and maybe playful argumentation, but I'm just telling you, I want peace in my home. You want peace with your kids? I do. I mean, come on. Everybody that has multiple children has had the, the, the wonderful experience of driving down a road, trapped in a minivan together, while they fight and fuss in the back. It's awesome. I mean, come on, parents, you're chuckling because you want your kids to get along and you want to get along with your kids. And why? Because there's something inside of all of us that that wants to have peace. And and I think that that's why so many people indulge in drugs and alcohol and gambling and you name it, because in some maybe perverted way, that's how they deal with their problems, because inside everybody wants some peace. And I want you to know tonight you can treat a symptom. You can dope it up. You can take a vacation. Man, I'm looking forward to tomorrow and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Man, I need a break. I am, I'm telling you, I'm looking, I almost skipped tonight. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> listen, you can treat a symptom and you can take a vacation to buy some rest. But listen to me tonight, you cannot buy peace. Remember, peace is one of the gifts that Jesus gave to his disciples in John 14, 27. He said, peace I leave with you. I love this. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Listen, this is, what he's talking about is not the peace we experience when there is no conflict. That's not what he's talking about. He said, I'm not talking about the peace that the world gives, like the kids are not fighting in the minivan and there's no arguing over politics at the Thanksgiving table. He's he's not talking about that peace. What he says is, this is my peace. And really understand what he's talking about. It's it's wholeness, well-being, completeness, totality. It's what the Jews would call shalom. That's what he's talking about. But you understand tonight, it's one thing to possess the peace of Christ And it's a whole entire another thing to let the peace of Christ possess you. And he says in this verse, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now that brings a question. What does it mean for the peace of God to rule in your heart? I'd like to tell you tonight, that word rule is a Greek word that carries the idea of an umpire. Now everybody in here loves umpires, don't they? Listen, I, I, I grew up, baseball was the first sport I ever played. And you know I love sports, but baseball was the first sport I ever played. I played probably the majority, uh, the, the, most of baseball of my sports career. I played a lot of baseball because I started it earliest. And I grew up more old school baseball than today. I, I mean, I just love going to baseball. Games. And, you know, I grew up in Cincinnati, so I love the Cincinnati Reds. Well, uh, the one World Series that I've seen the Reds win was in 1990. I was in eighth grade. And our manager was Lou Pinella. And I like Lou Pinella. He's an old school manager. And I mean, some of you that are even older than me, you remember Billy Martin. He, he was of the Billy Martin kind of family, you know. I mean, like, if an umpire displeased him, he, he let him know. And I, I think I got some images of that, brother. I mean, I mean, look at this guy. Does it look like the peace of God is ruling in his heart? I mean, I got, I, I got, a, that's, yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's in Cincinnati, baby. 
I mean, he runs out there. He's so angry, he picks up the base and throws it, man. I mean, and uh, I think I got one more image of him here. Oh, yes. Does it look like he's, he's allowing the umpire to rule the situation here? A lot of times we don't like, we don't like somebody else making the call in our life, do we? In fact, I like baseball so much, I used to umpire baseball. That's how, in the summers, I'd make some money doing that. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and I, I became an umpire and got certified and made, made some good money doing it. It was fun. And I remember uh, one time I, I would do behind the plate, and I would, I would also uh, do the bases. And so one time I was doing the bases. This is my favorite story, remembering umpiring. I was out doing the bases a hot summer day in Ohio. A kid was trying to steal a second base, and so he takes off from first base. He's running to second base. He goes sliding into second base. When he slides into second base on a hot summer day, the dust of the field kicks up in the air. I mean, just big old bursting cloud of dust. And I'm standing behind the bag, you know, I'm in proper position, I'm behind the bag. And what I see is that when the catcher jumped up, threw his mask off, throws the ball down to second base, when he does, the second baseman would have probably been the shortstop that was making the play, goes to get it, he does not catch the ball, the ball runs through into center field. So as he slides and the dust comes up, what you can see me in the dust is I said, safe, safe, the runner is safe. And when I did that, uh, moms, they're wonderful fans, aren't they? <laughs> Don't you love it? Some of you coaches and folks that are involved in athletics, how much parents do not know about the game and how vocal they are about it. I remember this mother in the stands, she yelled out, I mean really loud, what are you blind? About that time those words came out of her mouth, the dust began to settle, the center fielder picked up the ball, threw it back into the shortstop, and everybody in the entire ballpark could see that the call was correct. Now, I got to give the lady some credit. It was real quiet, and you heard her go, oops, sorry. <laughs> the Bible says that we need to let the peace of God be the umpire in our lives. Be the umpire in our hearts. Lightfoot, the Greek scholar, says of this word, wherever there is a conflict of motives or impulses or reasons, the peace of, God, of Christ must step in and decide which is to prevail. We've got to let the peace of God make the call in our life. That's what he's saying. In other words, the peace of Christ is the umpire that settles the disputes in our lives. That's why somebody like the testimonies you can hear through the tears of a broken heart over a sibling that's been unnecessarily killed, you can let the peace of God be the umpire on that call. That's why you can sit isolated in a room. No family can come see you all by yourself, but you can let the peace of God make that call in your life. And you don't know what's going to happen and why, why am I still here? But the peace of God can make that call in your life. We, we have to allow that. And Paul connects being thankful with letting this peace rule in our hearts. Because again, I submit to you that thankful people are calm. They're content. They're cheerful. They're cooperative. Because they let the peace of Christ rule. And I'm telling you tonight, the peace of Christ could never rule in the unthankful heart. The more thankful one is, the more the peace of Christ will rule. 
And the more it rules, the more thankful one is. So the Bible's teaching us here. Number two, I want you to see this. The grateful heart is biblical. It says there in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. You see, the word of Christ, of course we would call that the Bible, should dwell in you richly, it says. I want you to notice tonight, this is, I think this is very significant. Please get this. Notice the Bible does not say that it should dwell on your bookshelf. I want you to notice it says, it doesn't say that it should dwell on your coffee table. Oh, and this is the one that gets me, and you see it a lot here in the South. It just burns my buttons a little bit. It doesn't say that the Word of God should dwell on your dashboard of your car. It says it should dwell in you. Do you know what that's saying to you? It's saying this, that the Word of God should feel at home with you. When it says dwell, that's the idea. Like some of you are going to have family come in and they, maybe uh, we, we, you know, some of our college kids are coming. Up. Boy, they're going to come at home and they're going to sleep in their bed and they're going to put their feet up on their couch and they're just going to, I mean, they're going to come back home and they're going to feel at home right there. And the Bible says the word of God should be like that in your life. He's saying, look, don't let the word of God just visit you every once in a while. It needs to dwell in you. Let your heart be its home, not its hotel. See, when it comes to knowing the word of God, moderation is not a virtue there. We should have dose after dose after dose. That's why we have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We've got to get a lot of the word of God. And that's why even when you come in Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm asking you, are you reading your Bible every day? Why? Because you want the word of God to dwell in you. I mean, think about getting a letter from a loved one. Again, I, I, I tell you, I, I, I like checking the mailbox. You know that I try and every year, I try and write every member of our church. I don't care how many members we have. I try and write everybody a personal letter at least once uh, here throughout the course of a year. And, and, and because I believe that people still like not just getting a text message, that's nice. And not just getting a, a, an email, that's nice. But I still like going to the mailbox and getting snail mail. I still like it. And listen, if you get a note from somebody, you get a letter from a loved one, you don't even have to open it, do you? I mean, you look at it and you look at the return label, or you, you look, it's from one of your kids, it's from one of your grandkids, it's from your spouse, it's, it's from your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You don't even have to open it and you're like, man, oh yes. But I want you to understand the Bible is precious even when you are ignorant of it. It's like that letter. Oh, I got a letter. I haven't even opened it, and I'm, I'm excited about it. But here, why would we be content with just saying, look at this. I got a letter. I mean, just today, I know some of the teachers in our school are encouraging some of our young people to write notes. And many, many of our young people wrote me notes, and I really, I really do appreciate it. There were several of them. They were so good, I, I kept, I, I keep a file of encouraging notes from people, and there were several that I, I just kept. But, I mean, even today, uh, and while uh, uh, Caleb Graber, I mean, if you've ever seen Caleb, Caleb's always got the biggest, biggest grin on his face. I mean, that dude cannot win a staring contest with anybody. I mean, like, he's just gonna, he gonna laugh. And he come walking to my office, that big old goofy grin on his face. He walking in, he got a piece of paper. I said, what you got, man? You got a note for it? He's, mm-hmm. <laughs> Put that on the desk and walked out of there. Man, 
I, I, didn't take, I didn't say, I said to him, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate you writing me this day. He just grinned at me and walked out. Do you think I just took that and I sat it on my desk and said, man, God wrote me a note, that's awesome. No, as soon as he walked out there, I opened up and I read it. Why? It's exciting just to get it, but why, why would you have such a letter and not open it and see what it says? You see, a truly grateful heart will take full advantage of having the word of God and they will do all that they can to let it dwell in them. I want you to also notice that Paul makes a connection between our knowledge of the Bible and our expression of worship. I really think that that's significant. Then he says, let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And then he starts talking about how you sing and praise. See, where there is Bible in the heart, listen to me tonight, where there is Bible in the heart, there will be praise on the lips. The word of God cannot dwell in the heart of a person who's living in the past, worrying about the uh, future and complaining about the present. You show me a person that's doing that, they're not a thankful person. They don't have a grateful heart. But you show me somebody that's letting God's word just be right at home in their life. Boy, they're not regretting the past and they're not worrying about the future and they certainly aren't complaining about their circumstances. They're grateful. Let me give you lastly this. A grateful heart is thoughtful. Look at verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. One more time, Paul connects gratefulness to another subject. Here's what he connects gratefulness to. The name of the Lord Jesus. Now think about a name. A name, first of all, is an identifier. It's identification. That's one of the first things you ask, about people, ask people. What's your name? What's your name? And understand this. We belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. Wasn't that what you heard in testimony tonight? I am thy God. We belong to Jesus. Now listen to me tonight. If you belong to Jesus, you should be grateful. So he connects that. Here, here's another thing. It's not just an identifier, it's also an authority. I mean, when you sign a check, you're authorizing withdrawal. When the president signs a bill, he's authorizing a law. So the name of Christ, it represents authority. And so listen to me, here's what I believe Paul's saying, is that our conduct should be such that it can be authorized by Jesus. See, it's not just what we do and say in church, it's not just what we do or say in the presence of certain people. It's a comprehensive principle here that applies to all of life. See, that means I believe a truly grateful heart does not divide their life up into sacred and secular. See, we don't just be careful what we say when we're praying. We're careful what we say all the time. We, we don't just, you know... Pay attention to Bible reading done in his name. We, we, we are careful about all of our reading. And I think you could go on and on there. I, I think that that's what he's saying there when he talks about do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can he put his stamp of approval in what you're doing and how you're behaving? Now you might say, well, how does that connect with gratefulness? I think there's a huge connection. and We'll end with this. 
Here's the idea. If we cannot give thanks for it, then we better not do it or say it. That's what Paul's saying. He describes to us a grateful heart. It's peaceful. It's truly biblical. It's very thoughtful. So I ask you some questions tonight. Do you have a grateful heart? I mean, the people that know you, is that how they would describe you? Man, that person's grateful. I mean, teenagers, what about it? Would your parents say that about you, that you're truly a grateful person? Is that how your youth director would describe you? Is that how your spouse would describe you? Do you have a grateful heart? Number two, is your life characterized by peace? Three, does the word of God feel at home in your life? I hope it's just natural for you to quote scripture, natural for you to talk about spiritual things. And number four, is your attitude, your speech, your actions, are they something that can be authorized by Jesus? That's the description of a grateful heart.